minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakthrough. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is where you're listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secret Show. This is another special edition storytime episode where I read an excerpt from a book I've enjoyed, a study, research paper, something that's had a profound impact on the, the philosophies that we carry forth and that I utilize in my own life and the work that we do with our clients. And something that I think that you guys will enjoy that could perhaps expand the mind, open you up to some new ideas, and allow you to develop and utilize your own discernment, critical thinking, and intuition to decide what you believe to be true so all of us can make better decisions moving forward. That said, many of you guys are starting to see the plan that the, we'll call them the parasite class or the oligarchs, many of the people that put our politicians in power, they have an agenda. And COVID is just one part of that agenda. Uh, we've seen overlapping strategies and things being implemented with the military industrial complex, the central banks, of course, the um, military, the industrial medical complex, rather. And this is to create, at least in cities, uh, a technocracy where every move, decision, purchase that you make is monitored using your smartphone, your laptop computer, your Wi-Fi routers, even the smart meters in your homes that send your power usage to the power companies two to six times a minute. All of these things are a control structure. And it's another layer of a control structure that's been built for at least many decades, but it, it, it goes back a lot further than that. But at least for the past few decades, when you look at uh, the power grid, I mean, the power grid's been around for over 100 years, city water, these are all control structures that um, can allow, you know, they can influence our freedoms, right? And potentially restrict on those freedoms if we don't want to make decisions uh, that are, or mandates that are passed down by the government. Like if you don't want to wear a mask while working in your garden or mowing your lawn, and there's a mandate or even potentially uh, an unconstitutional law passed in that area, um, you know, it, it could be an issue if you don't want to comply and you're getting your power and water from the local city, right? That's why that's part of the reason that a lot of people have gone off grid, chosen to purchase land with other people that has uh, well water, spring water on the property. And this is one of the many reasons that we are building a regenerative community sufficient tribe living in harmony with nature in North Carolina. It's so that we can maintain our freedoms and um, choose to along with local government, the local sheriff, uh, uh, help to uphold our constitutional and bill of rights. So a little bit about this community, our guidelines and, and manifesto. It's all off-grid power, 
which simply means we're not going to have any smart meters um, or the wireless radiation that they emit. And we're going to be producing our electricity in a very green way. That's, it's going to come from either propane, solar, hydroelectric, um, or even some wood stoves. We're not going to have any Wi-Fi or wireless electricity, but we will have uh, wired internet connections, which are faster and healthier. We were going to have fresh mountain spring water coming from the land that will be accessible uh, from all land parcels. And we're practicing respecting everyone, especially, especially elders, protecting our children, loving thy neighbor. We're bringing a regenerative philosophy, which means we put more into the land than we take. If for any reason we need to cut down five trees to put in a road, we're going to plant 10. God above all else. We believe that we are divine creators in the image of God. We create more than we consume. Always speak the truth. We do what's right, not what's easy. We work hard and we play hard. We're going to have community gardens. Many people will have their own gardens to grow some or even all of their own food. A lot of people don't realize this, but a family of four can be fed on just a quarter acre. We're going to know our sheriff and we're going to work with local law enforcement to ensure all legislation upholds the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, our freedoms, and the health of Mother Nature. As I've mentioned, we're going to put God first by fearing only God and living as and and we fear, let's let's just rephrase that. Fear God only and live as the Word of God and Jesus Christ in human form. We're going to focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful. Our currency will be largely the trade of goods and services. So we were less reliant on both fiat currency and even cryptocurrency, which has some traps and pitfalls. Our greatest assets are our community, our character, and our health. Family is wealth. No mask, no vax, anything that's not truly backed by science um, is not going to be enforced in this community. Um, our education, community homeschooling. We're going to teach our children well as they are our future. We practice critical thinking and we challenge convention. We seek wisdom, not information. There's no usury, meaning we don't charge interest on any loaned money. We add value, meaning we leave everyone in our community better than we found them. It's invite only. It's a carefully curated group. And if you'd like to learn more about it, if some of those philosophies and guidelines in our manifesto resonate with you, you can apply to be a part of this community at biohackercoaching.com. That's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-E-R-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. And many people are just picking up parcels of land, a quarter acre, one acre to have as a vacation home or a sort of a backup spot if things get a little bit more weird where they're currently living. Um, some people are probably going to make this their primary residence, but anything is okay. So um, it is, you know, it is something where we're being very selective about who um, who we bring in in order to make sure that, you know, this community truly is a like-minded, high-morality, homogenous group, and it's not a commune or anything like that. We've got a mix of young um, young adults 
twenties, thirties, forties, it's, it's going to be all the gamut, even fifties and above families. Um, we're going to have fun. Of course, we will have some social events and, uh, you know, parties and things like that. There's going to be a, a focus on health and connection with the environment as, as mentioned and living in harmony with nature. And if that stuff resonates with you, if that's something you'd like to see, if it's a fit, the, the minimum donation is 25 K so I want to mention that and make sure that anyone that applies is, uh, is is financially qualified. And yeah, you can learn more at biohackercoaching.com. Just fill out the short form. Mention that it's for the community. If you'd like your, we're getting a lot of, of applications now. So if you'd like to request that your application gets moved to the front of the line, you can uh, send a text message, uh, send community VIP to 847 847- Nine eight nine three seven four three. Only after you've you've filled out the application and booked a time for us to talk, and yeah, that's about it. Very exciting stuff. So, without further ado, we're going to dive into this story time episode. And if you enjoy it, stay tuned till the end, and I'll let you know what it is from, so that you could go read more if your interest was piqued. All right. Oh, and last but not least, if you aren't already, please subscribe to the Biohacking Secrets Show wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That's how we help to combat the censorship that is actively taking place and how new people that could benefit from the stuff we share find and discover our podcast and give it a listen. It's you guys telling them that it's dope. All right, here we go. This book is dedicated to all those who seek truth. Quote, an error does not become truth by reason of multiplied propagation, nor does truth become error because nobody sees it. Mahatma Gandhi. Quote, unthinking respect for authority is the greatest enemy of truth. End quote. Albert Einstein. Introduction. Quote, Doctors are men who prescribe medicines of which they know little, to cure diseases of which they know less, and human beings of whom they know nothing. End quote. Voltaire. The natural state of the human body is that of good health, yet it would appear to be rather difficult to maintain the body in a state of good health throughout a person's lifetime. Although illness may seem to be a common human experience, it can manifest in a variety of different forms and to varying degrees of severity. The common cold, for example, is self-limiting and short-lived, whereas many chronic conditions, such as rheumatoid arthritis, are considered to be incurable and lifelong. It may be assumed from this that illness is largely unavoidable or is even an inevitable aspect of human life, but this would be a mistaken assumption, as this book will demonstrate. Nevertheless, the fact that large numbers of people experience some form of illness during their lives raises some fundamental questions, not the least of which is, why does it occur? In other words, what really makes people ill? The usual responses to such questions refer to two interrelated ideas, both of which are widely believed to be fundamental truths. The first of these ideas is that illness occurs because a person has contracted a disease of some description. The second is that each disease is a distinct entity that can be identified by the unique symptoms it produces within the body. This book will also demonstrate that these ideas are not truths. 
The conventional approach to illness adopted by virtually all systems of healthcare is one that employs remedies or medicines that are claimed to alleviate or bring an end to a patient's symptoms. This approach is based on the idea that the cessation of symptoms indicates that the disease has been defeated and that the successful outcome has been accomplished solely by the medicine. However, despite their common approach, different healthcare systems employ the use of different types of medicine in the treatment of human disease. These medicines may take the form of natural substances or products derived from natural substances, or they may be in the form of products manufactured from synthetic chemical compounds. The use of medicine to treat human disease is encapsulated by the quote attributed to Voltaire. The nom de plume of François-Marie Auret, A-R-O-U-E-T, 1694 to 1778, that opens this introduction. However, most people will no doubt consider the 18th century idea that doctors have little or no knowledge about medicines, diseases, and the human body to have no relevance to the 21st century. It is highly likely that this viewpoint will be based on the notion that medical science has made significant advancements in the past three centuries and that 21st century doctors therefore possess possess a thorough, if not quite complete, knowledge of medicines, diseases, and the human body. This book will demonstrate otherwise. The advances made in the field of medical science have been incorporated into the healthcare system known as modern medicine which is claimed to be the only system of evidence-based medicine that has a solid foundation in science. The idea that modern medicine is the best and most advanced scientific form of healthcare has been used as the justification for its promotion as the only system to be implemented by the governments of all countries around the world. It is because modern medicine is claimed to be the only system capable of delivering genuine healthcare that it forms the main focus of this book. However, as the ensuing discussions will demonstrate. This claim is unfounded. They will also demonstrate that virtually all of the information about disease promulgated, promulgated, P-R-O-M-U-L-G-A-T-E-D, by the medical establishment is erroneous, and that the reason for this is because it is based on ideas and theories that are fundamentally flawed. The flawed nature of these ideas and theories means that the words of Voltaire remain applicable to the 21st century medical system known as modern medicine, a system that continues to operate from the basis of a poor level of knowledge about medicines, diseases, and the human body. The term medical establishment is used in this book to refer to all of the people, organizations, industries, and academic and research institutions that practice, research, teach, promote and otherwise support the system of modern medicine. Sorry, our dogs go a little bit crazy whenever someone arrives and we have someone coming to give us a quote on uh, a price to move to North Carolina. So please ignore the dogs as best you can or enjoy their barking. <laughs> the term medical establishment is used in this book to refer to all of the people, organizations, industries, and academic and research institutions that practice, research, teach, promote, and otherwise support the system of modern medicine. It is a truism that a problem can only be solved if it has been thoroughly understood and its root causes have been correctly identified, because problems only cease to exist when their causes have been removed, a truism that inevitably applies to the problems of illness. Yet illnesses not only continue, yet illness not only continues to exist, it also continues to worsen for large numbers of people, 
despite the treatments and preventatives employed by modern medicine. The, logic, the logical and correct conclusion to be drawn from this is that modern medicine has failed to thoroughly understand the nature of the problem and has similarly failed to correctly identify all of the root causes. The consequence of these failures is that the measures employed by the medical establishment are entirely inappropriate as solutions to the problem of disease. Although claimed to treat and prevent disease, these measures, which are usually comprised of pharmaceutical products, do not remove their causes. They therefore cannot solve the problem. But more worryingly, these products invariably exacerbate the problem. The failings of modern medicine with respect to disease are solely due to the flawed nature of the theories on which its practices have been based. This statement will no doubt be regarded by the vast majority of people as highly controversial, but that does not deny its veracity. <coughs> Excuse me. It is requested that, whilst reading this book, readers bear in mind the following saying that is attributed to the German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, 1788 to 1860. Quote, All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident, end quote. In addition to revealing the flawed nature of the ideas and theories of modern medicine, the discussions within this book will explain the real nature and causes of disease and provide readers with information to enable them to make informed decisions and take appropriate actions for the benefit of their own health. Doctors are taught at medical school to prescribe medicines for the treatment of a disease that has been identified according to a patient's symptoms. The discussions in chapter one reveal why medicines do not restore a patient to health and explain the reason that pharmaceutical drugs are harmful rather than beneficial. Vaccinations are widely believed to be the safest and most effective method of preventing the diseases that are claimed to be caused by quote unquote infectious agents. The discussions in chapter two explain the reason that vaccinations are ineffective and dangerous and also reveal that they have no basis in science. The idea that certain diseases are infectious and caused by pathogenic microorganisms owes its origin to germ theory. The discussions in chapter three demonstrate that this theory has never been definitely proven. They also reveal that virtually all the information promulgated about the microorganisms referred to as germs is entirely erroneous. The refutation of germ theory in chapter three raises questions about the real nature and causes of the diseases referred to as infectious. The, discussion, the discussions in chapter four examine many of the major diseases claimed to be communicable to reveal the inherent problems with the explanations presented by the medical establishment. They also provide a number of more credible explanations for their occurrence. A number of diseases are claimed to be transmitted between animals and humans. The discussions in Chapter 5 examine a number of animal diseases to demonstrate the flawed nature of this claim and provide more credible explanations. This chapter also examines the basic problems with vivisection, which is the use of live animals in experiments conducted for disease research purposes. Environmental pollution due to harmful substances and influences is a far greater and more serious threat to human health than is acknowledged by the scientific community, including the medical establishment. The discussions in Chapter 6 explore the major sources of poisons, both chemical and electrical in nature, that pollute the environment and refer 
to some of the main applications of these poisons. This chapter also discusses the use of toxic chemicals and ingredients as ingredients in a wide variety of everyday products, such as household products, cosmetics, and personal care products, food and drinks, as well as some lesser-known applications. The medical establishment admits to not knowing the exact causes of most, if not all, chronic health problems more commonly referred to as non-communicable diseases. The discussions in Chapter 7 examine a number of major non-communicable diseases to expose the existence and extent of these knowledge gaps and also examine some of the known causal factors and reveal the existence of an underlying mechanism common to virtually all of them. Health problems cannot be considered in isolation. They are invariably associated with other circumstances, most of which affect a significant proportion of people throughout the world, especially in countries referred to as developing. International organizations, especially those within the United Nations system, claim to be able to resolve all of the problems that confront humanity in the 21st century. But this claim is unfounded. The discussions in Chapter 8 examine the most recent efforts to implement measures claimed to provide solutions to these problems, with particular emphasis on those that impact human health, whether directly or indirectly, and reveal that these measures are inappropriate as solutions because they fail to address and thereby remove the real cause of these problems. The reason that modern medicine employs inappropriate solutions to the problem of disease despite the unimaginably huge sums of money that have been and continue to be expended on the development of medicines and vaccines, is largely due to the influence of vested interests. The existence and influence of these vested interests over key areas of human life, including the healthcare system operated by the medical establishment, are discussed in Chapter 9. Having revealed, the problems with, having revealed the problems with the explanations presented by the medical establishment in the previous chapters, the final chapter explains the real nature of disease. It also discusses how illnesses almost always, how, how illness is almost always the result of multiple causes and reveals the existence of a common mechanism. In addition to discussing the problems, Chapter 10 provides information about how people can reduce their exposure to these causal factors and take responsibility for and control over their own health. The definition of each disease, referred to as the establishment definition, is taken from the 2007 edition of the Oxford Concise Medical Dictionary, unless otherwise stated. All emphasis in quoted statements are as they appear in the original. All articles and web pages from which extracts have been quoted are listed in the references section at the end of the book, unless the web page has been deleted or the website is no longer active. The dynamic nature of the internet means that web pages and fact sheets are often updated. The information used in this book was correct at the time of writing. All quotes, all quoted extracts from the published books listed in the bibliography are considered to be consistent with fair usage. Chapter 1, A Prescription for Illness, Dying to be Healthy. Quote, Physicians who are free with their drugging keep themselves busy treating the effects of the drugs. End quote. Herbert Shelton, N.D., D.C. The word medicine has two applications, the establishment definitions for which are, quote, the science or practice of the diagnosis, 
treatment or prevention of disease, end quote. And, quote, any drug or preparation used in the treatment or prevention of disease, end quote. The various drugs and preparations that are referred to as medicines are considered to be essential core components of the health care provided by medical practitioners to their patients. The inclusion in the definition of the word science conveys the impression that the practice of medicine has a solid foundation that is based on and fully supported by scientifically established evidence. The definition also conveys the impression that the use of drugs and preparations is similarly science-based and that medicines are both appropriate and effective for the purposes for which they are employed. Unfortunately, however, nothing could be further from the truth. Any healthcare practice that employs the use of drugs and preparations in the treatment and prevention of disease has no basis in science, nor is it capable of restoring patients to health. This statement will no doubt be considered by many to be outrageous, but that does not deny its veracity, as will be demonstrated by the discussions in this chapter about the use of medicines for the treatment of disease. The use of vaccinations for the prevention of disease is discussed in the next chapter. The medical establishment claims that there are many hundreds of different diseases, each of which, each of which is recognizable by its unique set of symptoms and each of which is treatable with the appropriate medicine. The purpose of medicine is to achieve the cessation of symptoms, an outcome that is interpreted to mean that the disease has been successfully conquered by the treatment. This, at least, is the theory, but in practice, in the real world, it is not uncommon for a wide variety of different outcomes to be experienced by patients, even though they all have been diagnosed with the same disease and treated with the same medicine. The existence of such widely varying outcomes presents a direct challenge to the theory. Furthermore, Although some patients may experience a complete cessation of their symptoms, this successful outcome cannot be attributed to the medicine, nor does it mean that their health has been restored for reasons that will be explained in later chapters. An interesting feature of the definition of medicine is the reference to the treatment rather than the cure of the disease. The reason for this is because the medical establishment states that many diseases are incurable. For these diseases, they claim that the appropriate treatment will manage the patient's conditions, which means that their symptoms will only be alleviated rather than eliminated. It is widely acknowledged that all medicines produce side effects, which are effectively new symptoms that are the direct result of the treatment. The significance of this fact is inadequately reported and therefore insufficiently appreciated by many people. It is, however, a core problem of the prevailing medical system because the production of new symptoms is essentially creation of a new, essentially the creation of a new health problem. It is clear that the wide variation in the efficacy of medicines used in the treatment for disease, as well as the additional symptoms they cause, raise serious questions about the ability of these treatments to restore a patient to a state of health, which ought to be the fundamental purpose and function of a healthcare system. The website of the WHO, the World Health Organization, provides a definition of health that states, quote, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or inf infirmity. This definition has remained unaltered since first declared in their constitution when the WHO was founded in 1948. 
The WHO is the agency of the United Nation of the United Nations assigned to be the authority for health matters for all of the people in all of the countries that have ratified the World Health Organization constitution. In other words, the WHO directs health policies for implementation by virtually every country around the world. Yet the WHO policy recommendations with respect to disease treatment almost exclusively refer to the use of medicines that are acknowledged to alleviate symptoms but not cure the disease. The WHO's policies are clearly inconsistent with their objective to achieve better health for everyone, everywhere, especially in the context of their own definition of health. Science is a process. It is a process that involves the study of different aspects of the world in order to expand the level of human knowledge. It also entails the creation of hypotheses and theories to explain the various phenomena observed during the course of those scientific investigations. As the various studies progress and the body of knowledge increases, they may reveal new information or they may expose anomalies and contradictions within existing hypotheses and theories. In such instances, it is essential for scientists in which, in whatever field they study to reassess those hypotheses and theories in the light of the new findings, a process that may necessitate revisions or adaptations to be made to prevailing theories. Sometimes the new information may indicate a need to abandon existing theories and replace them with entirely new ones, especially when new theories provide better and more compelling explanations for the observed phenomena. The theories underlying the cause of medicine to treat disease can be shown to contain many anomalies and contradictions. They are clearly in need of thorough reassessment. However, and more importantly, other theories exist that present far more credible and compelling explanations for human illness as its causes. These explanations also offer the means by which people can address the causes of their illness which can assist a full recovery from most conditions of ill health and help restore people to the state of good health in the true meaning of the word. This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product, and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic, and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed, my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day, and it even decreases inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is 
an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys want to check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks. I'll spell it out. T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are going to absolutely love it. It is neither intended nor necessary to provide a history of medicine. It is far too vast a topic. Nevertheless, it is necessary to refer to certain aspects of this history to identify the origins of the use of medicine and outline its progression to the situation that prevails in the early 21st century, especially in view of the dominance of the healthcare system recommended by the WHO for adoption by all member states. In various parts of the world and throughout history, a variety of ideas have arisen about the causes of illness and the appropriate measures to be taken to treat those conditions and restore health to the patient. However, all systems of medicine operate from the same basic principle, which is that a person who is ill requires treatment with a certain substance that is said to have curative properties in order for the patient to recover their health. Some of the ancient, ancient customs and traditions relating to the treatment of people exhibiting symptoms of illness were based on beliefs in the existence of malevolent supernatural influences rather than earthly ones. And these invariably involve the use of remedies of a similar supernatural nature. They may have included spells or incantations or the use of special tokens to ward off evil spirits. Other ancient customs and traditions employed an approach towards illness and its treatment of a more earthbound variety. Many of the remedies employed by these systems involve the use of various natural substances, such as plants and similar material that could be found locally and were claimed to have curative properties. The medical use of plants has been documented in many regions of the world and recorded to date back many thousands of years. For example, Ayurveda, the ancient Indian system of medicine, is claimed to be approximately 5,000 years old. Similarly, TCM, or traditional Chinese medicine, is also claimed to be many thousands of years old, although it is said to have its roots in Ayurveda, which indicates that Ayurveda is the older of the two systems. Many of these ancient systems also exerted their influence in, the region, in other regions of the world. Ancient Greek medicine, for example, is said to have been influenced by both Ayurveda and ancient Egyptian medicine. The latter system was recorded and documented on papyri, like papyrus paper, papyri, P-A-P-Y-R-I, some of which have been dated to be a few thousand years old. Many of these ancient systems were holistic in nature, meaning that they treated the whole person rather than addressing any specific symptom they experienced, but the treatment almost invariably involve the use of remedies that contain ingredients claimed to have curative properties. These ingredients were often derived from plants or parts of plants, although in some instances, the substances used as ingredients were extracted from poisonous plants. Catharanthus roseus, for example, I'll spell that out, C-A-T-H-A-R-A-N-T-H-U-S space R-O-S-E-U-S. Catharanthus roseus, for example, which is also known as rosy periwinkle, is toxic if eaten, but, is used, but has been used by both Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine for the treatment of certain health problems. 
Other remedies may have included ingredients that have been extracted from certain body parts of particular animals. Although perceived to be in conflict with these ancient forms of traditional medicine, modern medicine has incorporated some of their methods. The pharmaceutical industry has manufactured a number of drugs using synthetic derivatives of the active ingredients of certain medicinal plants widely used by practitioners of traditional medicine. Pharmaceutical drugs derived from the rosy periwinkle, for example, are used within modern medicine for the treatment of certain cancers. Some ancient systems of medicine and healing, such as Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, remain popular and continued to be practiced in the 21st century. However, although they contain very useful ideas, especially with respect to the recognition that the human body should be considered holistically, they nevertheless retain some of the less useful ideas and methods, such as the use of animal parts and poisonous plants as ingredients of the medicines employed in the treatment of patients. Whilst there is abundant evidence to support the idea that a, ver a wide variety of plants are suitable for consumption as foods, there is no evidence to support the idea that animal parts or poisonous plants have curative properties that can be beneficial to human health. So just a quick comment that is definitely not true. The use of glandulars from healthy animals like uh, pastured grass-fed cows in New Zealand uh, have been used throughout human history and um, proven in many cases to be effective. The, um, the, 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 the thymus gland is used for thymic regeneration and boosting the immune system. The um, adrenals are used to help with adrenal fatigue. And really, any uh, glandular uh, has been used to improve the function of that particular um, gland or, or, or organ. Um, and again, this is a good, as good a time as any to mention that this podcast, as is every podcast of every episode of the Biohacking Secret Show is for information purposes only. And this information is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. Always talk with your healthcare provider before implementing this or any other health practice regimen or exercise regime. Okay, let's continue. Hippocrates, the Greek physician, and if you guys are getting value from this, um, Share it with a couple people. Let them know. Encourage them to subscribe. That's how we overcome the censorship. All right. Hippocrates, the Greek, the Greek physician who lived approximately 2,500 years ago, is sometimes referred to as the father of modern medicine. He is said to have gained some of his knowledge from the ancient Egyptian system of medicine. A substantial proportion of Hippocrates' writings about his ideas on the subject of illness and their appropriate treatment has survived, and they provide useful insights into the type of medical practices that were in existence at the time. The ideas held by Hippocrates contained a mixture of strangeness and usefulness, the latter being demonstrated by his most famous saying that has been translated as, quote, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food, end quote. It's also important to mention that Hippocrates during his time, there were not cell phones, Wi-Fi routers, um, smart meters, cell, cell towers and the supporting infrastructure, wireless headphones and, and, and wireless devices, you know, quote unquote, smart TVs, smart appliances all over the home. 
And um, these things do have a very profound, often overlooked impact on on human health. So um, that is one huge shift that has taken place since the time of Hippocrates that needs to be taken into account if you are to optimize your longevity, health, and performance. Let's continue. This simple statement demonstrates the widely acknowledged fact that food is an important factor for health, as discussed in detail in chapter 10. The strangeness of Hippocrates' ideas can be illustrated by his theory that illness was caused by an imbalance in what he referred to as the four humors, which are blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile. His recommendations for the restoration of health required correcting these imbalances, and his methods included such practices as purging and bloodletting. Unfortunately, neither of these practices is able to correct any genuine imbalance in the body or restore health, but both of them remained in, in use by practitioners of modern medicine until comparatively recently. Another comment here, this, this isn't entirely accurate either. There's a, a very healing um, and purgative effect when one when one throws up. And this isn't saying to go and make yourself throw up, but many, many people who, uh, who ex- expound on the benefits of plant medicine, uh, like, like ayahuasca or, um, combo, which is a, um, a, a, a frog medicine, um, even, even psilocybin, well, not really psilocybin, but combo and, um, and ayahuasca, there's an energy that moves when we get into a non-ordinary state of consciousness and sometimes throw up. You know, that that is a practice that, well, it may not directly correlate to um, a biological shift in the body. Many different health issues are related to energetic blockages in the body, past trauma, um, unresolved trauma. Some people even believe that things that we've experienced in, in past lives, depending on, you know, what you believe, feel that stuck energy, um, is, 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 it becomes a cause of disease and really for healing to occur, we need to allow that energy and give it permission to move either through some of these purgative practices or through, uh, forgiveness, forgiving the person who, who we may have previously believed to have wronged us and, you know, doing the work, going inside, doing, doing the shadow work that isn't sexy, but is necessary for our, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual evolution. Okay, let's continue. It is reported that George Washington, the U.S. president, received a number of treatments that included the use of leeches for bloodletting to relieve his cold, the outcome of which was that he died in December 1799 at the age of only 67 after more than half of his blood had been withdrawn from his body. There has never been any scientific evidence to support the efficacy of bloodletting, despite the fact that it was used as a treatment for more than 2,000 years and has been advocated and employed by many eminent physicians in their own practices. Although leeches remain in use in modern medicine, their purpose is to assist blood flow and prevent clots rather than to draw large quantities of the patient's blood. Yeah, the, one a couple of the blood practices that have 
proven to be efficacious are the use of ozone, particularly as um, there's a process called major autohemotherapy where some blood is taken out and then ozone, which is like O3, um, is added to the blood and mixed in that gas. And then usually the blood, it's it's most effective if the blood is also ran through uh, something, a process called ultraviolet blood irradiation, where uh, ultraviolet light is then used to not only kill certain pathogens in the blood, but likely more importantly, to charge up the mitochondria and the immune system by um, via light activating the, the cytochrome C pathway on on the mitochondria. This charges up the electron transport chain, increases the amount of energy in the form of ATP that the body produces. And um, that is energy that can then be utilized to regenerate and heal the body, particularly by way way or by, by means of the immune system. Okay, let's continue. The ancient practices of medicine continued in the Western world with little change until the medical renaissance that began during the early 15th century. One of the key contributors of the 16th century to this renaissance is the Swiss physician Aurelius Theophratus Bombastus von Hohenheim, (laughs) better known as Paracelsus, P-A-R-A-C-E-L-S-U-S who is still held in high esteem by the medical establishment for his pioneering medical theories. The theories for which Paracelsus is best known have not, however, contributed to improved healthcare. On the contrary, they have impeded its progress because they placed an emphasis on the practice of fighting disease, a practice that remains a core function of modern medicine, but is nevertheless erroneous. Fighting disease is not synonymous with restoring health. One of his theories claims that the human body is a chemical system that becomes imbalanced when a person is ill, an idea that is clearly similar to that of Hippocrates, although not entirely correct. This idea has had disastrous consequences because of the substances used to address such imbalances. The solution Paracelsus proposed to correct the imbalance associated with the disease known as syphilis involved the use of mercury, which he both recommended and used in the treatment of his patients. Paracelsus was not the originator of the idea that syphilis should be treated with mercury. That dubious honor belongs to Giorgio Somariva, S-O-M-M-A-R-I-V-A, whose practice in the late 1490s involved the use of cinnabar, not to be confused with cinnabun. The... (laughs) Terrible. I'm sorry. (laughs) The contribution of paracelsis to the treatment of syphilis was the formation of a mercury ointment. Another theory, and one that, and one for which paracelsis is probably best known, is encapsulated by the phrase "the poison is in the dose." It is this theory that forms the basis of the idea that toxic substances are suitable for the use of medicines with the proviso that they are administered in the right dose. This theory also provides the justification for the use of toxic substances for other purposes, as will be discussed in later chapters. Although sometimes misquoted, the words attributed to paracelsus have been translated into English as follows, quote, all things are poison and nothing is without poison. It is only the dose that makes a thing 
not a poison. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. All things are not poison. Contrary to the claims of the medical establishment, the idea that the right dose of medicine is therapeutic, but the wrong dose is harmful, is erroneous. A substance cannot change its inherent nature in relation to the quantity in which it is used. In his book, entitled Natural Hygiene, Man's Pristine Way of Life, Herbert Shelton, N.D., D.C., underlines this point succinctly in the statement that, quote, poisons are such qualitatively, poisons are such qualitatively and not merely quantitatively. I agree with this a little bit, but also there's a lot of examples where I don't, right? You can, you can poison yourself by drinking too much water. I mean, we've, we've literally seen that happen with some of the, I think there was a competition for like a Nintendo Wii uh, a decade or two ago when, when that first came out and they were seeing whoever could chug the most water. And I think someone got really sick or even, I believe even died from that, you know, don't quote me, but, um, there are a lot of examples where even healthy things like like water can be poisonous in, in certain amounts. The only variations that occur due to the dose of a poison relate to the extent of the effects it will produce and the degree of harm it will cause. Throughout the 16th century, the physicians of many European countries continued to follow the work of Hippocrates, whose writings were studied by medical students in England, for example, and used as the basis for their qualification as medical doctors. There were two English medical colleges at that period, the Royal College of Surgeons that was founded in 1505 and the Royal College of Physicians that was founded in 1518. Dr. Thomas Sydenham, S-Y-D-E-N-H-A-M, a 17th century physician who is widely regarded as the English Hippocrates is also a source of both useful and harmful ideas. One of the latter was the appropriateness of mercury for the treatment of syphilis. This clearly demonstrates the level of influence that the work of Paracelsus had already begun to exert on the field of medicine. The 16th and 17th centuries were a period during which science flourished, especially in Europe, where scientific organizations such as the Royal Society, which was founded in 1660 to discuss scientific questions, were formed to provide repositories for the various writings of scientists about their work and their discoveries. The scientific, advancement made during, scientific advancements made during this period included many new discoveries and technologies, as well as significant improvements to existing technologies, such as the microscope, for example. The new and improved technologies were particularly useful tools that scientists utilized in their laboratory experiments, which they claimed provided the means by which their theories could be established and proven scientifically. This period, known as the Scientific Revolution, was the era during which scientists also discovered new chemical elements and developed new chemical compounds, both of which provided further opportunities for scientific experimentation. The prevailing idea that the human body was essentially a chemical system that needed to be balanced encouraged the use of chemicals in a wide variety of experiments in the field of medicine, a practice that continues to be the mainstay of medical science and especially medical research in the early 21st century. This area, that, this era that contained the medical renaissance and the scientific revolution extended into the 18th century and fostered the growth of an elitist attitude, especially within the field of medicine. Although this attitude 
predominated amongst those in charge of the medical organizations, such as medical colleges, qualified physicians soon began to hold a similar view of the system under which they had been trained. These men, because women rarely trained as physicians prior to the 19th century, sought to promote their medical system as the only true system of healthcare, as it was the only one grounded in science-based evidence. Whilst this period is generally claimed to be the beginning of medical science, it was, in fact, the beginning of medical dogma. The medical establishment promulgates the view that science-based medicine led to the overthrow of quackery, despite the fact that this scientific system entails the use of toxic substances in the treatment of disease. It should be noted that the definition of quackery includes reference to unfounded claims about the ability of substances to treat disease. The significance of this description will become increasingly apparent throughout the discussion in this chapter. It should also be noted that the treatment of syphilis with mercury-based compounds continued into, into the early 20th century, despite the lack of evidence that mercury has the ability to heal this disease. There is, however, an abundance of evidence which demonstrates that mercury, like all other toxic substances, causes a great deal of harm and can even lead to death. Europe was by no means the only region in which an elitist attitude was fostered towards the science-based medical system. In her book entitled Death by Modern Medicine, Dr. Carolyn Dean refers to the situation in Canada and states that, quote, allopathic doctors, which means like Western medical doctors, allopathic doctors began amassing power as early as 1759. At that time, legislation was drafted to protect an unsuspecting public against quacks or snake oil salesmen, end quote. The orthodox or allopathic system nevertheless employed practices that had not been scientifically established as having the ability to assist a patient's recovery to its natural state of health. Some of the unpleasant practices they had used continued into the 19th century as described by Herbert Shelton in Natural Hygiene. Quote, patients were bled, blistered, purged, puked, narcotized, mercurialized, mercurialized, and alcoholized into chronic invalidism or into the grave. Many of these treatments were a continuation of traditional practices that date back to at least the time of Hippocrates, if not earlier. But as stated, these treatments frequently resulted in the death of the patient, a fact that demonstrates both their lack of efficacy and their dangerous nature. The harm caused by these practices and the substances used as medicine did not go unnoticed, as Herbert Sheldon reports, quote, it is well known to the physicians of the period that their drugs were damaging, end quote. The continuing use of these drugs, despite the scientific knowledge that they were harmful, demonstrates the failure of the scientific system to recognize the utter fallacy of the idea that poisons can be therapeutic. The medical system in which they had been trained, had not equipped physicians to provide health care for their patients, nor did it protect patients from the harm caused by medical treatments. Nevertheless, the proponents of scientific medicine sought to increase their dominance during the 19th century by further developing their system and creating more formal training procedures for the qualification of physicians indoctrination camps. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There's a lot of incredible doctors and many of them listen to the biohacking secrets show our, uh, clients in our coaching program and, um, contribute and, and have had a very positive influence on, 
you know, the work that we do. So much respect to the many forward thinking doctors who hold themselves to a high level of morality, scientific rigor, and uh, stand up against tyrannical, unfounded practices that violate the Hippocratic Oath, which is, you know, the, the oath that all medical practitioners and doctors take, uh, that, that is first do no harm, right? It's, it's, it's critical that these oaths are upheld. The oath of medical practitioners, the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm, the oath that, um, our armed forces and law enforcement take to stand up against all, um, enemies, foreign and domestic, you know, that, that sometimes may mean not taking an order from a superior. You know, we see the parallels here, especially um, when when there are coup attempts and insurrections, um, perhaps designed to try to overthrow, you know, the American um, government economy, etc. Let's continue. The formalization of the medical system in England, for example, led to the founding of the BMA, the British Medical Association, in 1832, although under a different name until 1855. The purpose of this organization was, according to the BMA webpage entitled The History of the BMA, to provide, quote, a friendly and scientific forum where doctors could advance and exchange medical knowledge, end quote. The BMA webpage that details its history web pages that detail its history refer to their campaign against quackery in the early 19th century. The term quackery was and still is used to discredit all forms of healing other than those of modern medicine. Yet it was that very same 19th century medical system which claimed to oppose quackery that employed medicines known to be harmful and often led to a patient's invalidism, invalidism or death. The practice of medicine has clearly not changed a great deal since the days of Hippocrates, after whom the Hippocratic Oath that urges doctors to do no harm is named. This oath is still sworn by qualified doctors and is a laughable principle, excuse me, a laudable, (laughs) very different, a laudable principle on which to base any work in the field of healthcare. But the use of harmful substances in the name of healthcare denies physicians the ability to apply that principle in practice, as this chapter will demonstrate. And I disagree with that. I don't think, um, I, I think that the only thing preventing or denying physicians from applying that principle in practice is the physician. It is up to each physician to uphold the Hippocratic Oath, and when practices that violate it are suggested, um, you know, these are discussions that need to be had, and it is only from the bottom up by taking a stand that changes can be made. I think that's a pretty good spot for us to stop for this Storytime episode. There's a ton of of amazing stuff in here that um, is really, really mind opening and, and exciting. I mean, this book is, um, it's almost 700, 700 plus pages with many, many references. If, um, you want to check it out, the name of the book is what really makes you ill. Why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. And it's by Dawn Lester and David Parker. Again, for those of you guys that want to pick up this book, it's called What Really Makes You Ill? Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease is Wrong 
by Don Lester, L-E-S-T-E-R, and David Parker. And as of the time of this recording, it was available on Amazon. If you guys got value from this episode, um, please share this episode. Send it by email to as many people. If you have an email list, send it to your list. Tell them to check it out. And um, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to find out if... Um, you know, if you'd like to learn more about our regenerative community sufficient tribe living in harmony with nature that's located in, in Western North Carolina, you can uh, apply at biohackercoaching.com. Again, the minimum donation is 25K. So please make sure that um, you're financially qualified and all of that. And we'll set up a time to talk and see if it is a fit. That's biohackercoaching.com. And if you want to request that your application jumps to the front of the line, um, you can text community VIP to 847-989-3743. And in closing, I'll just reiterate that the information shared in the Biohacking Secrets Show and everything that we put out is for information purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. So please talk with your healthcare provider, your functional or integrated medical practitioner, whoever you trust with yours and your family's health prior to implementing any recommendations discussed therein, making any changes to your diet or exercise uh, regimen. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you soon in another episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. What's up, guys? Anthony here. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all-day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one -on -one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one -on -one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. 
From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 